Faring Pharmaceuticals Incorporated would like for our today podcast listeners to know that during these unprecedented times, Faring Pharmaceuticals remains committed to supporting the ASRM community. The Reproductive Medicine and Maternal Health COVID-19 Resource Portal provides a single site with up-to-date resources concerning COVID-19 and its impact in reproductive medicine and maternal health. Global in scope, the Resource Center is designed to provide access to the latest guidelines and insights on a single platform, including patient support, webinars and podcasts, medical publications, and links to additional organization guidance and updates. Go to re.faring.com backslash COVID-19 for everything you need to know about COVID-19. Welcome to ASRM Today Book Review, a podcast that interviews the authors who dive deeper into the field of reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Gloria Richard Davis. She is a co-author of the book, Planning Parenthood, Strategies for Success in Fertility Assistance, Adoption and Surrogacy, which we're going to talk about. Dr. Richard Davis is with the University of Arkansas's Medical Sciences as Executive Director, Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and also serves as a Professor of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Dr. Richard Davis, thank you so much for being on the ASRM Today Book Review. Thanks for having me, Jeff. This book is intriguing and informative because it's not only based on the science of infertility, it's also grounded in real personal experiences. And each chapter actually ends with a, with a, with a, with a personal perspective. Can you tell the audience how did you and the other authors come together for this book? So it's a very interesting story because several of the authors were my patients. And Rebecca Clark, who is the lead author, came to me when she was like in her 40s, right? So, of course, we know the challenges with older women and reproduction. And so after she achieved her pregnancy with twins using donor eggs, she came back to me and she said, you need to write a book. And I said, Rebecca, I don't have time. I'm the sole REI at Auctioner. And I do about 85 IVF cycles, that's not to mention all the other things. So thanks, but no thanks. And so, you know, she brought it up again. And then she took it a step further. She wrote to John Hopkins because she had published a book previously for women living with HIV. So she had published that book through Hopkins and she sent them a letter of query as to whether or not they would be interested in publishing the book. And so when she got affirmation back from them that they would publish the book, then she came back fully armed with, uh, with the letter saying, we need to do this. And so after several conversations between she and I and talking about the different aspects, because I said to her, you know, I don't want to write just another book, right? It needs to be a comprehensive approach. Because it is a very complicated process for some women, depending on what's required to achieve parenthood. And for some women, it's, it's easier. They end up getting pregnant with their own gametes. For others, it's, it's donor. Others, it's surrogacy. Or it may be adopting. 
are choosing to live childless, right? And so, you know, all of these are choices all along the way. And so it's very important for me to actually address each of those and to address it in a personal way. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you about that. Choices are sort of at the center of a lot of what is discussed in this book. For example, it's discussed that patients need to think about how they move from a non-successful procedure you know, to the possibility of, a, of another type of procedure that might bring success. So why does patient choice continue to be, in your opinion, so difficult? I think because reproduction is a natural part of life, right? And we really expect it to happen. And when it doesn't happen, we go through, from my perspective, the same process as we do in death and dying. Okay? We enter that denial phase, the anger, the bargaining, and finally, acceptance and deciding we have to move forward, right? So that's the first step is, is really acknowledging and accepting the fact that there is a problem, which does not come easy for many people. And then once you acknowledge that there's a problem and you go through the evaluation and you uncover what hopefully is the root cause, right? And sometimes it's unexplained. But when you identify what the cause is, now you have to go down another series of negotiation between, I'm assuming it's a couple, right? It could be same-sex couple. It could be straight or gay couples, right? And so having to make the decision with your partner about how you're going to approach this, and it becomes complex depending on what the choices are that lay before you. And so choices are at the, the heart of almost every decision related to fertility. And as you started pointing out, going through a cycle that is not successful is very emotionally charged. For couples, it's also expensive. There's a financial cost, there's the emotional cost, there's the time cost. And so if it's not successful, then again, they have to reassess and make a decision about what are the next steps. And for many couples, we have those conversations up front, right? We know that a single cycle has X amount percent of chance for pregnancy, depending on what we're using, technology we're using. And so I oftentimes say to them, we think of our treatment cycles in threes, right? Because the first or the second cycle may not work. But if we understand the etiology behind it and we're doing what is necessary, then they should get pregnant by a third cycle with some caveats, right? I mean, if they're over 40, that's a whole different conversation. But that's why choices is at the heart of everything, because at every juncture, right, there is a choice a choice in whether you go forth, a choice in whether you repeat the same cycle or you change things a little bit, or do you move in a completely different direction? 
and also extending choice also to the to the physician or the or the provider. And I was thinking about this as I was reading the book, based on some some other recent texts that I had uh, I had read. How difficult is it? Do you think now for physicians they need to know more about mental health? They need to know more about all these other areas that they didn't really get training in. You've been in the field for such a long time. What's your experience with that? What, what's some advice you can give other physicians who may be struggling with, with trying to, to understand their own choices, having to, to deal with choices themselves? Well, you know, the first thing that I would recommend is that they, if they don't already have a therapist that they're working with, a group that they're working with, because that is so critical to what we do in this area of care. So when I moved from city to city, that was one of the first things that I would do is to identify a therapist who understood reproduction and understood the complexity of it. So I would have conversations with them to try and decide if they're the right fit for what my patients need. And then I would have the conversations with my patients. And it's very tempting as a physician to try and fill all the patient's needs. We can't. We're not trained in that area. And so I'm very forward with patients about that, saying, you know, I'm specialized in this area, right? I am not a mental health specialist. So when we talk about fertility and all of the emotional, mental challenges that comes along with it, it is important for you to establish a relationship with the therapist. And I say this at the first visit, typically, because while they don't necessarily need a therapist at this first visit, depending on what we have to do, They may, in fact, need a therapist later down the road. And if we're doing third-party reproduction, then I require that they meet with a therapist because it's too complicated. They really do need to have someone that they've talked through this process with. Have you looked at ASRM member benefits lately? ASRM is consistently adding value for physicians and other professionals in the field of reproductive medicine. Boost your career with access to ASRM's cutting-edge journals, free continuing education credits, access to ASRM QBOOS, discounts on the annual Congress, and so much more. To learn more about the benefits of ASRM membership, visit www.asrm.org. I'm speaking today with Dr. Gloria Richard Davis. We're talking about her book. She is one of the authors of the book, Planning Parenthood, Strategies for Success in Fertility Assistance, Adoption and Surrogacy. It's available everywhere you can get your books. Uh, Dr. Richard Davis, what is this, this idea, this idea about planning parenthood? What is planning parenthood possibly looking like now in, in 2021 with a world moving out of a pandemic into a world with a lot of questions? Yes, it's inter- It's an interesting question. I think when we look at people during a pandemic, it allowed us to sit still in many cases and reevaluate life. And I think it's really brought a lot 
of value in terms of family into focus. And so I really think post-pandemic, we're going to see even more of a focus on fertility, on having children. And, you know, I was in New Orleans during Katrina. I did not expect that we would come back post-Katrina and people would be ready to jump into fertility cycles. We had some some patients whose cycle was disrupted, obviously, by our evacuation. But they were constantly calling, you know, saying, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. When can we get back? Right. When can we get back? And I was just really taken back by individuals who have gone through this, this trauma, this, you know, devastation. But when they came back to the city, they were sharply focused on this is important for me. I've seen my life has been turned upside down, but this is important. And so, you know, I suspect that that's what's going to happen this post-pandemic as well. Do you think that you will still see a number of women 35 and older, or do you think that the numbers will begin to skew? Because in the book, it's discussed you know, statistically also that a lot of this infertility assistance comes to women 35 and older. Do you, do you think that will continue to skew that way, or do you think it will be younger? I wish I could say that it would be younger. But, you know, I mean, ASRM, probably a couple of decades ago now, did a public service announcement trying to raise awareness to women about aging and diminishing infertility, diminishing fertility, right? Increasing infertility. And I, I remember this so vividly. It was um, a documentary interview with 20-year-olds after having been provided the information about the challenges with waiting and that the recommendation would be to have your children earlier. And that doesn't fit into everybody's lifestyle, obviously. But I was struck by the fact that those 20-year-olds, when they were asked, would you have children earlier, said no. And further questioning them, well, why? Because by the time I'm ready to have children, science would have, you know, perfected and, and overcome some of the barriers that we have with aging. And a lot has changed since two decades ago, right? But if you're talking about your own gametes, your own egg and sperm, a lot has not changed. We've been doing IVF and ICSI. For since 1978, for IVF and ICSI, probably at least 20, 2000, right? So it's not new. But when it comes to third party reproduction, we've had a lot of advances, like the ability to freeze eggs that we didn't have back then. Egg freezing came off the experimental list 2012, and now we have egg banks. We've always had frozen embryos, but I think, you know, it's probably discussed more now and patients are aware of those options, as well as you have tech companies that are now paying 
for young women to free sex because they understand the value in that. They understand that age is not advantageous in fertility. And so to provide them that option is huge because it's kind of like money in the bank, so to speak, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I was I was going to say right before you mentioned that though I was you had me thinking about the tech companies and how all of these it seems like the the last 10 years at least which is still relatively early in in this in this century but it's amazing that so many companies have decided made that decision you know and, and made it available through insurance which is even you know the larger yes. you know for all that and, and I think that that's been such a you know such a massive massive change the ASRM would like to invite you to save the dates for the ASRM 2021 scientific congress and expo to be held October 17th through the 20th in Baltimore, Maryland. The 2021 Congress and Expo will kick off with the ASRM President's Gala, followed by three full days of live, in-person plenaries, symposia, interactive sessions, roundtables, and a robust exhibit hall. At the conclusion of the live Congress, on-demand offerings of select sessions will become available through the end of December 2021. Registration opens soon so look for an email from us in your inbox. It is Infertility Awareness Month at ASRM, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, is there anything that you would like to see in the field this year improve or maybe modify or even change regarding this idea of planning parenthood? I think one of the things that I have always struggled with is patient access to quality care, to affordable care. Because we see, when we do see young women and they need the uh, higher tech reproduction, in many cases, it's not covered by insurance. They may be fortunate enough to live in a state where they have coverage, but most of the time, the coverage is fairly limited. And so they have youth on their side, but they can't financially afford it. And so what can we do as a society to address that barrier, to perfect some techniques and technology that would be less costly for those patients? You know, like we have the uh, in vivo uh, the intravaginal culture system, which is a start, right? It's less expensive than the traditional IVF, uh, low-cost IVF. But I think we really have to push those boundaries and try and figure out. Because otherwise, when you ask me the question about women waiting until they're in their 30s, right? For some women, they're waiting because they can't afford to do anything else. And and may never be able to. Yes. Know, may never be in that in that spot. I have had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Dr. Gloria Richard Davis about the book Planning Parenthood, Strategies for Success in Fertility Assistance, Adoption, and Surrogacy. It is available everywhere you can get your books. Dr. Richard Davis, thank you so much for being able to be on the show today. Jeff, it was an absolute pleasure. Always. 
Well, we're going to have to have you back. (laughs) I'll be happy to come back. Fantastic. I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today Book Review. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.